Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where one of us is just jetting off to Italy. Um, <laughs> and so we're going to jet off to Italy with her in, in cinematic form. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is Lauren Humphreys Brooks, and with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Buongiorno. <laughs> Do you speak Italian, Karen? Do you um, actually know I any speak Italian? Like four words of Italian. Okay. <laughs> So like you can that order food, you can be like buongiorno pizza. Like there yeah. we go. Hello, yeah, awesome. Uh, spaghetti, <laughs> spaghetti. That's as long as you know. Like you could be like Kevin Klein and um, uh, Fish Called Wanda, where you just like shout out <laughs> pasta names and cheese names. Like and then that's really the whole the purpose of going to Italy is to eat. So really, when you exactly. come down to it, <laughs> exactly. You eat and you go to old churches. That's basically what you do. That's that's all there is in Italy, uh, my understanding. Yeah. And as we will learn during this episode, very thirsty white people. Um, very, very. So that before me, so. you get to be the thirsty white person <laughs> uh, and like eat, pray, love your way through through Rome and Venice and Florence and it. Milan and Sicily and everything. <laughs> Uh, so before we get into discussing thirsty white people in Italy, um, we wanted to do a really just quick Oscar roundup um, since we didn't get a chance to, to record the episode last week um, after the Oscars, although we did predict all of the Oscars, all of the winners. We were just right about everything, obviously. All of them. Yep. 100%. Um, but particularly Michelle Yeoh, who, as as our listeners should know, we did an entire episode on and talked about how awesome she was. And lo and behold, she is even more awesome and has been acknowledged by the Academy. Isn't that great? I'm so happy about that. Um, and then also Sarah Polly, who won um, Best Adapted Screenplay. And and we talked about her. Uh, we talked about women talking a couple weeks ago. So. What were your impressions of, of this year's Oscars, Karen, as a person who is actually there? You know, it's interesting. Um, I mean, my overall official predictions weren't great because I was just too much in my like hope this will happen instead of what I knew would actually happen. And I do that every year and it makes me mad every time. But um, so I didn't feel like there were a lot of surprises. Um, there were a couple but overall, I think that most things went fairly the way people expected them to. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the big things from being in the press room um, and just being there, you know, to greet people after they've just won their Oscar and then we're the first like press that they talk to as as Academy Award winners. And um, I think one of the things that was really cool this year that this is my third time going um and i don't remember there being so much emphasis backstage on mentoring and there was so much that was like such a theme with so many hmm. of the responses guillermo del toro who won for pinocchio 
um Yay. he and, and his you know i was so happy um, <laughs> he and his co-producer mark gustafson um they were talking a lot about you know how this opens doors for kids who don't have a lot of resources because stop motion animation is like one of the most accessible forms of filmmaking for people and it's the way so many filmmakers actually get their start and so he's wanting to set up scholarship programs and an entire like school curriculum for kids who want to learn stop motion animation specifically um and so that was a big thing and then when jamie lee curtis won and she was talking about you know, she obviously she was talking about like her history in Hollywood and and she referenced a little bit of what it means to her to be like colleagues now with her parents who both were Academy Award um, winners. And but on top of that, it was more about like fostering this next generation and like what these types of of awards can do for others when people just kind of use that that strength, I guess um and you know Keith Kwan the Daniels like that was just really Michelle especially uh, that was just overall just kind of this theme of the night was like this is awesome now I can't wait to use this to do good for other people that's really that's really good to hear honestly because that I I think it brings home how much how important the Oscars can be to someone and if you actually do have stars and directors and writers etc who are not just going like, okay, I'm going to take this and go home, but are actually going like, okay, now I want to use this to to further people in my business and to give opportunities to people who haven't had opportunities before um, mm-hmm. to, to eventually be on the Oscars stage or to be able to make careers in filmmaking where people have often been frozen out or been told they couldn't do it, all of those things. It's a really good point about stop motion, um, yeah. that it is such an accessible form of animation and um and you don't have to have you know tons of computer equipment you don't have to have tons of specialized equipment in order to do it you don't have to be able to draw (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's important Mm -hmm. too (laughs) i feel that (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, so yeah so it was just really cool overall to to see that and i think that this is mm -hmm. a perfect example of what you get with a changing academy because now what we're seeing is more and more winners who do not look like traditional Oscar winners from, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, a hundred years ago. And so you're seeing a lot more of like people who are really excited to have that moment in the sun and to be celebrated, but they also know that they have kind of, a duty to pass it on or at least they feel a duty to pass it on and to mm-hmm. to help others be able to not have to wait as long as they have had to wait well that's that's the thing i think it's so easy for the oscars to kind of pat themselves on the back and and say like oh we were we gave michelle yo an oscar oh we you know we brought back we brought brendan fraser back into the fold we brought kiwi kwan back into the fold you know all of that stuff and at the same time, you also have to say that these people have been frozen out of Hollywood for a very long time. Yeah. They've been frozen out of not not necessarily Hollywood completely, but have not been treated well by the business mm-hmm. and have not been treated well by the Academy for that matter. The fact, you know, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The fact that it's taken this long for Michelle Yeoh to get a an Oscar is ridiculous when you actually look at her body of work. 
Um, and honestly, I think I would say the same thing for Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis has been in a lot more genre films and, and she's, she's been, but she's been excellent in them. And even her, someone who is, you know, a Nepo baby, as it were, um, it's taken this long for her to, to receive that acknowledgement. And that's, that's insane. Right. And, you know, and you, you talk about people like Brendan Fraser or, um, Kiwi Kwan who have been abused literally by the business that has now rewarded them. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful to see them actually get that, those accolades and get that attention. But at the same time, it's like, what have we not had because the business has treated them so abysmally? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there were just other really cool moments too. Like um, the, uh, one of the short films and now I'm blanking on, Oh, elephant whispers, which is Mm -hmm. available on Netflix and it's really, really good. Um, But the two women who produced that, what I did not realize, I don't know how this missed me, but that was the first time an Indian produced film has ever won an Oscar. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's also embarrassing, by the way. Right. But that's but it's good. I mean, it's a good thing that that's happening now. Yeah, and then it happened again when Natu Natu won for original mm-hmm. song. <laughs> so, which it's I was so excited about that. I was like, mm-hmm. it has to win. It has to like you can't not win this this is this is the best song yeah and it was also the first telugu i think that's the language uh, mm-hmm. uh song ever nominated which is really cool and like that that whole bollywood tollywood i'm not going to comment on that stuff because i really don't understand it and it's not my place but it's a big you know kind of brewing battle between the two and i hope that that's another thing where i hope that the opportunities for accolades like this can kind of help bridge some of those divides too well and and that's that's one of the things that you know like like you point out the changing academy the fact that films that are much more off the beaten path in a lot of ways are getting accolades and are getting attention Mm -hmm. um and by the beaten path i mean you know all of those things that we talk about with oscar bait films and i am i am beginning to see people trying to make everything everywhere all at once into an Oscar bait film, like explaining how it's Oscar bait. I'm like, I'm, I don't like, I I have my own issues with the film, but it is not, it's the, it is not Oscar baity. Like, and if you look back at some of the, the previous best picture winners, very few of them are Oscar baity, but like there has been a major change that is, that has happened as we've talked about over the past few years. Um, but but like there are all of these things people sorry no go on i was gonna say just like as a like a side note to what you're saying um when i saw people referring to the shape of water as oscar bait i was just like i i don't even know what to do with that (laughs) well it's like as soon as i as soon as these films begin to get accolades right as soon as they begin to get like critical attention and they begin to win awards, right? They win the the SAG awards and uh, Directors Guild awards, et cetera. As those films gain momentum, that's when people begin saying like, well, actually these are Oscar bait films. Like, no, they're, they're really not. Like you right. cannot look at these films and go like, this is sort of the accepted narrative, right? And, and that's kind of what I was saying was that, um, there are a lot of films and a lot of stars who are getting rewarded for films that are outside of the accepted narrative of the Oscars. Right. And that is hopefully opening up more space. And so 
things like um, the Elephant Whispers and Nachi Nachi winning might actually open up and also being very critically and and um, viewerly audience well like well received by critics and audiences um, that might actually sort of spur a a broader cinematic culture in the United in the United States and in the West particularly. Um, yeah. To actually, you know, be like, hey, we can experience these films. Let's not, you know, say that RRR is just this outlier. Let's actually watch these films. Let's actually, you know, see what is on offer. It shouldn't be just that, in other words. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one thing, too, that was interesting, just going back to the idea of genre films or that, that you know, that topic. And there were a lot of opinions. And I've still seen a lot of opinions in the last week and a half. Um about Angela Bassett not winning and losing to Jamie Lee Curtis for supporting actress. And it's interesting that like, I mean, I love Angela Bassett and she is, she honestly is fantastic in Wakanda forever. Um, But it's interesting that we're not having more of a conversation or at least this part of the conversation isn't happening as much of like, she was the first person nominated for a Marvel movie the fact that she got nominated mm-hmm. at all is a huge deal. And I totally get why people are upset that she didn't win. I mean, the woman was robbed for what's love got to do with it back in, you know, 1990, what, two, three. Um, like, and she's definitely had many, many times over the years where she, I mean, she, she should have her, her shelves should be just like, like overloaded with awards. Um, but it's just interesting because I just, I think that, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis as you say, she's built her career on mostly genre films and everything everywhere kind of is one too. Um, And she even talked about that when she was backstage and like, she hopes that the way people have embraced this and some other recent films, that that means that people are more accepting of genre movies and, and not so ready to dismiss them. And I think that even with Angela Bassett missing the fact that she got nominated at all, um, I do think shows that the Academy is recognizing work in lots of different mm-hmm. areas and not just in your traditional sobby drama. Yeah, I, I think that that's a really good point. Um, and I, I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of other stuff that that was going on around Angela Bassett. And I think that um, uh, Robert Daniels and a couple of other writers made very good points about that, about it's not it's not really about Angela Bassett at a certain level. It is and it isn't. Um, but the, you know, as we've discussed before, the way that, that black people and particularly black women have been frozen out of the Oscars yeah. and continue to be frozen out. And, you know, the fact that even up there on the stage, we had Halle Berry presenting an Oscar to, uh, Michelle Yeoh. And you're just like, ah, a best, the first black best actress winner presenting an Oscar to the first Asian best actress winner. And there are, there's no one else. Mm-hmm. Right. There's and that that is that's wrong. It simply is wrong, even with the history of Hollywood, even with the history of like everything that has gone around it. The fact that we're only now getting these kind of firsts is is bad. This is not a good and that it was 21 years in between. Yeah, exactly. And oh, could you imagine if they had opened that envelope and it was Kate Blanchett? (laughs) Or worse. Yeah. Uh Andrea Riceboro. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say, Andrea Riceboro, like, I think applauded the loudest. Like, she was beyond <laughs> excited, I think, that Michelle oh, yeah. Yeo won. 
Um, I think everybody was like it. It was de- it was definitely Michelle Yeoh's to lose, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, and and yeah, it that that needed to happen, and I'm really glad that it did. But it's it's the fact that this shouldn't be a conversation anymore. I mean, we right. it, wouldn't it be nice if we could actually get to the point where we are some we're not talking about these firsts, and we're not even talking about seconds anymore. We're talking mm-hmm. about multiple people, and yeah. And then it, there ceases to be this sensation of it being so loaded because black black women are being frozen out or because Asian people are being frozen out. And I'm, and I'm just saying Asian people because that's like an expansive term. Yeah, this, this isn't is even like, oh, the first Malaysian actress. Wouldn't that yeah. be good? You know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing, too. It's like we need to get we need to get through these. We need to break down all of these barriers. We need to get to a point where and this is still years away because i mean you only have one winner every year so this is still a very long time away before we get to a point where we can just talk about which performance we like the best and not have to like root for people i mean we talked about how both of us we really loved kate blanchett she's fantastic in tar it's one of her best performances and but it was like i was rooting against her because i needed michelle to have that honor you know and we need to get to a point mm-hmm. where and and i thought michelle was great too it's not that i don't think she deserved it it's just you know we need to get to a point where it's not about you know the the numbers it's not about those demographics it's really just we can have fun conversations about which performances we liked or which movies we preferred or whatever without having to worry about um you know, people getting shut out continually mm-hmm. over and over again. Exactly. So I think that this year's Oscars was, you know, in terms of the broadcast and everything, it was fine. I did not care about Jimmy Kimmel one way or the other. I wasn't that interested. I do wish that, that my my one thought was that I, w- I wish that there had been a, a wider spread of awards in, in the sense that I wish that more films had been rewarded for different things. Yeah. Um. There, it w- there was very much this... With a few exceptions, it was very much everything, everywhere, all at once, and all quiet on the Western Front, like those two films. And I wanted, I wanted more, more attention being paid to a bunch of different films. Say, like Banshees of Inisherin got shut out. So did Tar. Um, five Best Picture winners went home empty-handed, or nominees. Sorry, five went home empty-handed, and three only won one award. And that that's just like I, you know, and at a certain level, it's like, is this entertaining? And like, I want more accolades for different types of films. And there were a lot of different types of films um, in in the in the pool this year. And it's kind of it was sort of disappointing to me. Just like, OK, so it's like everything all was all quiet on the Western Front. All right. Moving on. And and that I don't think that that takes away necessarily from any of the, those awards, particularly the, the the really big ones, the best actress, best picture, et cetera. But I do wish that there was a, a greater spread, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I will say I did not realize until the show started that I was so emotionally invested in Top Gun winning that sound award. <laughs> <laughs> like. I worked really hard on that story that I wrote for Variety and I, you know, I talked to every one of those guys that ended up winning and it just, it changes when you like have a connection with people directly and it just kind of changes your experience and it like, 
And it's also just really incredible the work that they did. And they did some really Mm -hmm. big innovations. And to like, I didn't realize that I was actually emotionally invested in them winning that award until it happened. And I was like, okay. So, I did. Yeah. I did like Lady Gaga's performance also of the the song. Yeah, um, I, I, I enjoyed only got her. to hear part of it because there was someone in the press room while she was performing. Oh, but okay. yeah. So that is this year's Oscars. Now, what's going to win next year? Like, I'm so <laughs> tired. Like, I really just want there to there needs to be a respite for a little while. Oh, I already saw. Oh, sorry. I already saw people posting like, oh, here's the films that are going to be in the pool next year. I'm just like, I'm going, none of you have seen those films. Those films have not been watched yet. Like you're just going based on stuff that you think. Shut up. Go away. Clayton Davis has been doing (laughs) this for years. Like it's just a fun game for him. He just likes to see what he, like how good he can do at predicting stuff based only on like early early word of mouth plot who's attached to the movie all that stuff and he's been doing it for years as a game but people a couple years ago started just taking it so dang seriously (laughs) so um but yeah it's kind of his thing now but it's funny because last night i was at a movie screening and i posted about it on instagram and someone immediately was just like do you think it could be a best picture next year and i was just like oh my gosh i don't know I don't know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I, I just hate the, the fact that it's like this constant conversation. Like, I d- shut up. Everyone it's, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love awards and I get really into it. But it's the way that, like, so many movies are measured by their awards potential. Yeah. And which is just unfortunate because... There were 400 and something movies eligible for Best Picture this year. Only 10 got nominated. (laughs) So all those other movies, I mean, some of them aren't great, but all those other movies aren't automatically just bad because they didn't get nominated, you know? And it's like, I just, yeah, it's exhausting. It is exhausting. (laughs) Let's just enjoy stuff. Exactly. And so let's talk about some films that I think are pretty enjoyable. Um, And actually, you know what, we're going to start with one that was in fact nominated for a whole bunch of awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Screenplay, which it won, um, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, and Best Costume Design. And this is so this is this is a really enjoyable film. uh, And and I, I mean, I actually have warmed to it. I didn't really like it, actually, the first time I saw it. I have warmed to it since then, partially because I actually read the book. And uh, I, I do find this film wonderfully entertaining. So let's discuss our first film set in Italy for Karen's Italian tour is A Room with a View. Uh, the 1985 British romance film is directed by James Ivory and uh, produced by Ismail Merchant. And stars Helena Bonham Carter, Julian Sands, Maggie Smith, um, Daniel Day-Lewis, Judy Dench, Simon Callow, and a whole bunch of other people who are just delightful. It's like all of the British people from the 1980s, basically. <laughs> yep. um, and what what are your thoughts about this film? This This takes place in 1907 in Florence and in England, and it is about seething passions in the Italian countryside. <laughs> 
Um, well, first I would like to point out that this is the feature film debut of 19-year-old baby Helena Bonham Carter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's just so young and so sweet and innocent. And um, yeah, I so I um I don't know if I've seen this movie before or not. I feel like I had seen it, but when I was watching it, I was like, so much of this is not familiar to me. So <laughs> I don't know. But um, yeah, it's um, it's very it definitely feels dated. Some of it just like as far as how it looks, some of it just hasn't really unless it was just a bad transfer. I don't know. I'd love to see like a cleaned up uh, version of it. But um, but I just really love the 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Just like the way that um there's just like so much earnestness mm-hmm. in, in in like protecting people from themselves kind of as you have Maggie Smith trying to do for um her uh, for as her as the chaperone to for Lucy um, yeah yeah to Lucy and yeah it's just it's just sweet it's um it's funny it was actually really funny at times and just watching like Judy Dench and Maggie Smith and um like this group of actresses who I swear have always been old <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you ever if you ever see Maggie Smith in like the prime of Miss Jean Brody mm-hmm. um you you realize that she had she was young once so yeah, <laughs> like, I think that so so much of their films we've seen from like the the eighties and onwards. So mm-hmm. at that point they are they are middle aged, right? They yeah, are they are getting 50s. older. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's actually one of my favorite things to do right now is when I'm watching certain movies, especially movies that are like more than twenty years old. I'll go and look at how old the stars were when they made them, and like <laughs> compare to like, oh wow, I am older than this person was. Do I look like that? <laughs> um yeah but uh anyway sorry i i mean this it's a this this film is very much i mean if you know the the merchant ivory films i i think that's very much in keeping with a lot of their work so you know howard's end and um remains of the day maurice i believe they also did which is also an, an adaptation of a forester novel um this this one so much of it is about you know, saying, talking about seething passions in the Italian countryside, yeah. but it is very much about that. It's about this like contrast between Englishness, right? And the sort of rules, the social rules that all of the English characters are more or less obliged to pay attention to. Yeah. And, and the kind of the need to sort of break free of that. And the fact that it, it happens initially, at least in Italy, um, and you've got the Emerson, so George and his father, who are much more free thinking. They're much more free flowing. They are much more like open about their emotions and and you know willing to engage with each other. And you've got this one of the the first scenes where Lucy and um, and I'm trying to remember the Maggie Smith character's name. Charlotte. Uh, Luz, yeah, Lucy and Charlotte meet them right, and Charlotte is like the chaperone and everything, and. The, the whole argument is we were supposed to have a room with a view, right? We were supposed to have a nice view and we didn't get one. And the Emersons offer to switch rooms with them. 
Like, and it's this, this very open offer and watching it. If you, if you are like not an Edwardian, you're like, just take the, the rooms. <laughs> They're being nice. But there's this whole argument going back and forth about like, is it appropriate? Is it like, will they expect something? You know, all of these things, <laughs> all of these undercurrents that are never spoken, right? They're never like actually said aloud. Um, but there are all these undercurrents and the Emersons are like, just, you know, accept, accept it in the spirit that it's offered. And you get that. We don't need windows anyway. We're fine. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You you get that set up and, and that runs through the entire film of like this desire, these underlying emotions and desires and, and sexuality and all of that, that the, the English characters and particularly Lucy and the honey churches are sort of trying to tamp down and control and that Italy sort of breaks them free of that a little bit. And they're still trying to control it, even when they get back to England. Um, but Italy is kind of used as this, this contrasting element of like, you have a choice here. And one of the choices that you can make is actually, you know, and move outside your comfort zone a little bit, not obey all of the restrictions of your society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very much a film about... Um the it's not repression it is but it it's like it's more just about kind of the constraints of of expectation yeah and finding ways to or kind of giving yourself permission to break out of that yeah the rules Mm -hmm. and all of these unspoken rules and the way that that all of the characters are kind of bound by them and particularly lucy because lucy lucy's young Right. And she and she's female and she is only really able to function in the world and in and relate to the world in a particular way. Um, I always like the. Sorry, um, I always like the sequence where it's Lucy and Cecil, who is her her fiance. And I think it's Mrs. Honeychurch, her mother and maybe someone else. But they, they stumble across the men all skinny dipping yes right going bathing (laughs) i love that (laughs) and lucy breaks down in laughter like she thinks it's the funniest thing cecil is like oh no we must conceal this from your eyes you know and but it's it's this wonderful contrast of like it's very funny first of all and and it's like her brother and the local vicar you know know, Mm -hmm. they're and they're just they're skinny dipping they're taking off their clothes and jumping in the pond and everything um, but even before that, we get this moment where Lucy talks about going bathing in that pond until she was caught. And so there's this undercurrent. And even with that scene that like she, because of her feet, because of simply being female, she has had to live a much more staid and controlled life than she, than the men around her. And then, than she really wants to. Yeah. So it is it's a lot of fun um really fun performances too fantastic like, I mean, performances we've, we've yeah. mentioned maggie smith and judy dench and helena but um you know you have julian sands oh so sad yeah he's still missing but we know he's not coming back mm-hmm. um daniel day lewis i so <laughs> i very i i get frustrated with daniel day lewis and i know people love him and i know he's a great actor and all that but i get frustrated with him because i feel like most of his performances are 
overacted and he is like doing stuff like way above what the rest of his co-stars are doing um generally and i especially see that in later movies this was one of those where i was just like oh this is the daniel day lewis that people fell in love with because he's just so (laughs) weird and goofy but he's not overplaying it he's like playing exactly the character that is that he needs to play yeah and he he's a great contrast to george he's a great contrast Mm -hmm. to to lucy that kind of and he's very much the aesthete right he's just like he appreciates painting and art and everything but it's from a very um high from a very high-minded perspective very classicist right it's Mm -hmm. not really the emotional dirtiness etc that that definitely lucy needs and that that george very much represents but yeah but one of the things I like about that character is that he could so easily have just been turned into a villain. Mm-hmm. And he's not. Like, Lucy yeah. finally breaks it off with him, right? And he's he's polite about it. Like, he's just like, okay, I understand. Like, uh, you know, that's a, that's all right. He doesn't, like, reproach her for it. He doesn't, like, he doesn't lose lose his shit at her um there there is just this like he is the wrong person for her in so many ways but he's he understands that at some level he's just like yeah maybe maybe you're right (laughs) yeah well i mean i personally think that he's actually gay but um but (laughs) there's that too yeah yeah but also just uh i think that he understands that even though she's you know she's very pretty they really are not equally matched She's not just as he is not the right person for her. She's definitely not the right mm-hmm. person for him either. And I think he recognizes that. And yeah, he, it's not, it's not a villain type of of role. It's not that type of a story where you even need one. It's really just about um, breaking, like like we've said, breaking free of those those constraints and and break you know breaking out of that and saying no, this mm-hmm. is this is the direction that I need to go and being able to make that choice and he's not going to stand in her way either because he understands that this is something they all should be able to do yeah yeah and then and she finally does partially and i i like the fact that again partially it's a result of charlotte actually mm-hmm. kind of helping her along a little bit and maybe realizing that she was wrong as well yeah. um that she was wrong about george that she was wrong about about what lucy really needed and for lucy to be a truly happy human being she needs to be able to let go. She needs to be able to play Beethoven and live her life the way that Beethoven is played. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I like that. It's actually, for a film that is is very light in a lot of ways, it does have a lot of depth to it and, and is very critical of like that, that experience of repression and social construction, like you say, constraint that mm-hmm. um, that people are forced into. And, and Italy frees that up in people. Yeah. <laughs> counting on it anyway (laughs) (laughs) so the next film i think that we should talk about is one of my personal favorite shakespeare adaptations (laughs) um like i love this movie i think this is the way that shakespeare should be adapted this is exactly what it should look like this is what it should sound like it is one of the happiest i think um uh shakespeare comedies and it's just so much fun with a great cast. And again, a bunch of pasty white people, except for a few. And <laughs> we should talk about that as well. Um, so it's Much Ado About Nothing from 1993, uh, directed and adapted by Kenneth Branagh and starring 
every British actor from the 90 from the 1990s. So we had all and of the, a couple all of, of Americans, <laughs> all of the British actors from the 80s and now all of them from the, the 90s, including uh, several Americans who really do make the movie in a lot of ways. So it stars Kenneth Branagh, Emma Thompson, um, Kate Beckinsale, Michael Keaton, Keanu Reeves, Denzel Washington, Robert Sean Leonard, and uh, oh, Brian Blessed is in it. Um, the, it's it's just, it's so much fun. Karen, this is the first time you watched <laughs> Much Ado About Nothing. Please do not disappoint me and tell me that you at least enjoyed it. <laughs> it was the first time I've watched this version of it. Yes. Um, I've seen another adaptation or two but um i didn't like them and that was a big part of the reason that i avoided this one because i was just like i think i just don't like that play you know oh no 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 it was the adaptations because (laughs) this is fucking great (laughs) did you see the joss whedon one um yeah i think i watched that one Mm -hmm. yeah that one's that's terrible i hate that movie so much yeah it was bad (laughs) and there's also one from i think the 70s that we watched when i was in high school also not good um and yeah so i really just thought maybe i just don't like this this play like it just doesn't do it for me but that's just because they were terrible adaptations this one is so much fun (laughs) i actually was like i just pulled up because I was just like, well, what else got nominated in 1993? How did this not get nominated for any Academy Awards? And then I'm like, oh, okay. It was like The Age of Innocence and Orlando and The Piano. And yeah, it was that year. So I guess that makes sense. But um, it's, uh, it's a freaking delightful movie. I absolutely... I, I just I had so much fun with it. It's funny. It's like really, really funny. It's just a bunch of people mm-hmm. frolicking. <laughs> I mean, we need more movies of people frolicking. We don't get they enough sh- of that. They actually do frolic too. They like down dance in fountains <laughs> and run through fields and like, you know, it's like, oh, the boys are coming home. Everybody get naked. You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which is I think exactly what I expect Italy to be like. And um <laughs> I there's 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 a couple of monologues that um Branagh's character has where um the first one he's like next to a fountain and he's just going on and on about his you know his woes of his own making mm-hmm. and I was just like I think Kenneth Branagh I texted this to you I was like I'm pretty sure Kenneth Branagh wanted to do this specifically because he wanted to do this monologue <laughs> Because he is just eating it up and he is enjoying every minute of it. And he's doing a great job, too. <laughs> it's I, I I enjoy most of Branagh's um, Shakespeare films. And I, I know and there, there are criticisms to be made of all of them. One of the things that I really like, and especially about this film, is that a lot of Shakespeare adaptations do the monologues in voiceover. And this mm-hmm. was something I think that was introduced by Laurence Olivier. And, and it it kind of runs through a lot of Shakespeare adaptations and it's a disaster. It's a disaster on film because we're, we want to see the actors performing. At least I do. I don't really want a a stable camera on an actor's face and to not actually see them talking or anything like that. And one of the wonderful things, and I think that, um, that this film does it so well is that you get that sense of like, basically you've got characters talking to themselves, right? 
And some of those speeches that you're referencing where he's just like, here's why I'll never marry. Or if I do get married, here's the perfect woman for me. And then he finds out that Beatrice is in love with him. He's just like, what I said I would never marry. I did not mean that I would never marry. (laughs) And it's this wonderful, like, and, and you get, because you've got a lot of very good actors who understand the material that they're doing and understand the words that they're speaking. Um, you've got, you get all of that humor and that sensation that these people, this is, first of all, this is the way these characters actually talk, right? This isn't like a performance necessarily. This is the way that they speak. And, and you get all of that humor and all of the emotion and everything that kind of Shakespeare puts into it filtered through those actors. And it, it is, it's funny. You, you realize just like, oh yeah, that's hilarious. Like that's actually really funny. This is mm-hmm. like a guy essentially justifying to himself the fact that what he was saying like five minutes ago is not actually true. <laughs> right. um, and, well, and I think, oh, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna, I love, I love the, the scene that kind of precedes that where um, uh, the Prince and Claudio and Leonardo are like speaking really loudly about (laughs) how Beatrice is in love with Benedict. And again, so much of it, it's not in the words. So much of it is in the way that the actors interpret them. So you're just like, oh, thank you. She loves him. You know, (laughs) like, yes, she told my daughter so. Uh It's it's that whole thing of like, um, like, I I want to make sure that you hear this, you know, like it's people that are conspiring and it's really funny. And it's that really like fake way that people talk when they, because most people aren't actually actors. And so when they're trying to convince you of something, they're not necessarily good at it. So, and it's just really funny how it comes across. Mm-hmm. But what I was going to say was, um, I think you hit it though, with something that you were just mentioning a minute ago, which is that like, these lines are being delivered by people who understand what they're saying. Yeah. And there's just too many adaptations. I've seen too many, like, you know, attempts at like, even just reading it in high school, like reading through play, you know, Shakespeare, especially, um, you know, you just, you have people reading lines without really understanding what it is that they're saying. Yeah. And they're just trying to like, trying to kind of guess at what the cadence of, of the, the line should be and because they don't understand it then that beautiful flowing iambic pentameter or whatever he's using you know throughout which always changes but um like if you don't really understand the meaning behind what you're saying then the flow of his words just doesn't work yeah and that's what you get so much of this is like you can tell that Brana really worked hard to make sure that these actors all understood exactly what was going on and all understood exactly what they were saying. And it yeah, really and and you've got you've got a lot of of trained Shakespearean actors, Brana himself, and and Emma Thompson, and a, a lot of these people who are very deeply versed in the meaning of the words, right? And and then and then they're just very good actors, and they're actually giving those performances. Um, I do want to talk uh, at least for a minute about Emma Thompson, who's so mm-hmm. wonderful in this. I love her. And and the two of them together, like, and this this was when they were married. Um, and and at least in this film, they are wonderfully matched. Uh, mm-hmm. and they're kind of back and forth and the verbal sparring and all of that, it's done so well 
And, and again, with that knowledge and understanding of where the humor actually is and where the seriousness is, because there are serious moments as well. Um, but she's she's wonderful. Her scene where she's basically like, I want you to go murder Claudio <laughs> is it's good because she's serious. She's just like, yeah. no, you're going to if you love me, you will kill your friend. Like yeah. you're going to fucking kill like, him. <laughs> uh, OK. <laughs> like yeah just like please no but but all right like if that's if that's really what you require i will suck it up and do it but i really don't want to (laughs) well and and that that's sort of undercurrent throughout that entire scene where you know claudio has really violently rejected hero um beatrice is pretty rude about it (laughs) beatrice (laughs) is furious right and and she has she has this whole speech about like you know wanting to be a man and wishing that she could actually go and challenge him but she can't because she's a woman, um, yeah. and and so she kind of uses Benedict at, at that in that way to sort of be like well I can't challenge him so you're gonna have to, um, but I, I think that Thompson's performance really gets at that anger and that frustration also of knowing that your friend has been hurt your your cousin has been hurt and you can't really do anything about it right yeah all she can do is implore someone else to do something yeah and that's the thing is like in you know in every way it's like it's men that have to fix this problem because it's like the you know hero's father and his brother trying to like figure it out and then they get yeah it's it's and then you have the really wonderful stuff with Michael Keaton <laughs> and these <laughs> guys. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Michael Keaton because he sort of, he runs onto the set and kind of upends everything. I was not even expecting him. I did not know he was in it. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is Beetlejuice when he was alive. <laughs> And he's got, he has a great entrance too, because he like comes, he's pretending to ride a horse and he keeps on getting me out of, um, um, what do you call it? Um, Monty Python. Python. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like, he's the, he's this great comic character. And, and I do like several people pointing out that, you know, Dogberry is, is the, the stupid policeman, right. Mm -hmm. Um, who he keeps on getting words wrong, but his, his couple of scenes, he's not in the film for very long. But his couple of scenes are hilarious and do kind of, you know, he, he's very much the clown figure um, in the midst of, of this, this humor. He's, he's sort of the low humor, but he gives such a fantastic performance and is so funny. And again, one of those where you need actors who are able to deliver these lines clearly and who, who are able to um, understand what they're saying, because part of the humor of Dogberry is that he gets he keeps on mixing up words he says he says the wrong words for the wrong things and it's funny but one of my favorite moments is when uh the the sexton um has left and one of the prisoners calls calls dogberry an ass and he just like loses his shit over being called an ass and ends it all (laughs) with forget not that i am an ass Mm-hmm. so it's marvelous before we move on let's let's talk about uh denzel and keanu i was gonna say we can't move on <laughs> without talking about them <laughs> first of all the hottest family in messina i mean 
Yeah. Like, who is their father? (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of questions about their parentage. Um. I, I mean, Denzel, I think Don Pedro is not a, a really challenging character. Um, he's sort of the the, the calm center of everything. Mm-hmm. But I think that he actually gets like a lot of the nuance into that. So there, there's a scene between him and Beatrice where he, he basically asks her to marry him. And she says no. And then they kind of play it off as a joke or as something that they're joking around. But the way that he acts it, it's very much, um, it's very much that he is actually asking her to marry him. He is actually, you know, being like, if, if you'll marry me, I would definitely marry you. And, and she doesn't love him. And that's, that's basically what it comes down to, but there's a lot of subtlety in his performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, um, I mean, like you say, he's he's kind of that that quiet center, but it's it's interesting because it's like he should feel a little bit out of place because he's very much an American movie star um, in dropped mm-hmm. into this movie. Um, and but yet he doesn't feel out of place at all. He feels like the natural, like kind of the leader um and i think it's because the cast they they kind of work to meet where he's at like it's it, everyone just feels really balanced and i think that's a big part of why brana is such a good director and why he's such a perfect director for this movie is because he really knows how to take people that don't necessarily wouldn't fit together and really finds the ways to make them all feel like they blend really well it's very yeah it's a very good ensemble for that reason. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that when, you know, turning around and looking at Keanu Reeves, who's very, <laughs> in a lot of ways, is very much the odd man out. I actually, so Reeves gets a lot of shit for this part. Um, very similar to his role in, in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Beautiful. However. <laughs> oh, and yeah, and I, I do have to say in this film, he does not try to do an English accent or anything. He, he just... Shakespeare right so he's not particularly he's not putting on a a airs or anything like that um but on this rewatch I have to say I appreciate him more because Don John is a completely thankless role the whole point of Don John is to be the villain he's got Mm -hmm. a couple of scenes where he's just he basically is like haha he practically twirls his mustache he's just like haha I am going I'm now going to cause mischief you know um and then he vanishes, right? He literally, like, he literally runs off for the third act. Um, and and so this isn't a part that is particularly challenging or or that is really important beyond being kind of a, a plot mechanism. But he actually gives it uh, some weight and obviously is enjoying the performance and enjoying the fact that he just essentially gets to sneer his way through the role. Um, I really like, I don't know why, maybe it was just the mood that I was in and rewatching this this time. But I was like, you know what? Keanu Reeves is doing his damnedest with a part that isn't that challenging and is actually giving this character, you know, something. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because, and this is something that I was thinking about while I was watching it. And it's it's kind of this funny thing that happened, especially in the early 90s, where people were trying really hard 
to turn Keanu into like a serious actor, you know? And so then he ends up in movies like this, which is not a serious movie, but um, you know, this is definitely not Bill and Ted, you know? And, and he's in Dracula. He's just, he's in a, a few others, um, uh, dangerous liaisons like i'm trying to think of some of the other like I mean, serious in, actor roles he's that, in dangerous liaisons is he's also in he did another part that, that was similar like a, a costume role and i can't think of it right now mm-hmm. um yeah i know i'm trying to i'm trying to remember too but the but it was just kind of like this time where that's what people were trying to do was turning him turn him into this you know this very particular actor that he just like he just that just wasn't him and um like sometimes it would work out like um i'm sorry but i love a walk in the clouds uh do not apologize i love that too (laughs) i love that movie so much (laughs) um but but yeah so it's like he just he had they, they were just trying so hard and so this movie i think it it kind of falls into that category, but yet somehow, like you say, I think it works because of the fact that this isn't necessarily a serious role. This is, mm-hmm. he really is the mustache twirling villain in this Shakespearean melodrama. And it, it works. And that's again, where I say Brianna really knows how to work with these actors and really how to capitalize on their strengths and, mm-hmm. Um, use them for what he needs them for and so even though i think that there are probably other uh other actors who could have stepped into that role and it wouldn't have felt as like it wouldn't felt as odd i don't know if it would have been as much fun either well that that's just it i like the oddness for exactly that it's fun and and the scenes, particularly with Don John and his henchmen, right, lean yeah. very hard into the fact that this is this is a mechanism, right? This is like, okay, we've introduced all of the characters, we've got all of the kind of plot things in motion. Now we need a complication. We need someone who is going to try to come in here and cause trouble. And that's the function that Don John has. And it it leans into that. It's just like, yes, this is a plot mechanism. Let's have fun with it. Let's, you know. For some reason, oil up Keanu Reeves and have him massaged. <laughs> um, you know, let's have these guys kind of laughing maniacally, that kind of thing. It leans into that. And I think that that's part of what makes it work. You're just like, ah, oh, he's the bad guy. But you don't even really feel bad about him being the bad guy. Because mm-hmm. it's it's so obviously a mechanism, I guess. Yeah. So any final thoughts on Much Ado before... We move on to the next one. I, this I just love this movie so much. It gives me so much joy. I enjoyed the crap out of it. And I think people should watch it if they haven't seen it. It is on Prime right now, but it's leaving at the end of the month. So you have like just a few more days to watch it. Yes, watch it. Watch it. If you, Especially if you have not seen it or if you've only seen like Joss Whedon's adaptation of Much Ado. Like this is oh, actually one of... If you've only seen that. Mm-mm. One of the best plays. <laughs> um, there is, I know, a, ver- a version of... Fil- it's a stage version that was filmed with uh, David Tennant as Benedict. And mm-hmm. it is, it's very funny as well. It's a very good adaptation. Quite different from, from what Branagh does in this. Um, but, but just as much fun. Cool. So for our final film speaking of like all of these films are very much fantasies i think that that's 
something that yeah. that we come to the conclusion of of Italy being this place of fantasy um mm-hmm. where you know romantic things happen and there are dashing heroes and dangerous villains and Cinderella stories and and everything and I think that this this final film that we want to talk about really encapsulates all of that uh <laughs> which is only you the 1994 film directed by Norman Jewison and starring Marissa Tomei Robert Downey Jr and Bonnie Hunt with a very special appearance by Billy Zane <laughs> Who has three scenes and steals them all and is so fucking weird. Uh, this So this is about basically a woman who, when she's 14 years old, is told by an Ouija board. 11. That, 11? I thought she was 14. She's 11. Oh, she's 11 years old and then she's told again. Yeah. Uh, um, by the... Uh, the fortune teller. The fortune teller, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she's told by an Ouija board that her her great true love is someone named Damon Bradley. And so she spends years looking for Damon Bradley. And we fast forward many years and she is teaching in a school. She's teaching Latin and Italian um, and, and the classics and is talking about like Aristotle and Socrates, et cetera. And she's about to get married to a podiatrist. And then she receives a phone call uh, from someone named Damon Bradley, but he gets off the phone before she can figure out, uh, you know, where he is. And all she knows, all she is, that knows he's, is he's at the airport. Sorry. He's at the airport. and He's about to get on a flight to Venice. Yes. And so she chases after him with her best friend, played by Bonnie Hunt, who is the perennial best friend um, in tow to hunt down Damon Bradley. It is. It's such a silly movie. It is so fucking silly, but I I find it so delightful. And I really, and this again is is one of those films is very much reliant on the charm and ability of its cast. Like Marissa Mm -hmm. Tomei is is wonderful. So is Bonnie Hunt. And so is Robert Downey Jr. Who is just so friggin' cute. Like he shows that we're just like, oh my God, you're so cute. Why are you so cute? And they tour around Italy, they go to Rome, they go to Venice, they go down the coast, they look through all sorts of exciting places. The sad thing about it, I love this movie. The sad thing about it is, and and I think that this is really significant, and I kind of wish there had been some sort of mention about it, but I think you get a little hint of this at the end. Um, But Faith is so focused on finding this Damon Bradley that she's in the most beautiful place and she's missing all of it. Mm-hmm. Like she's not seeing, they don't go to the Coliseum. They don't go tour the Vatican. They don't ride in a gondola in Venice. They don't enjoy any of the sights because she's so focused on this goal, this very silly goal that she's, that she's kind of had inflicted on her when she was a kid. And, um, and then when you find out what the truth was behind that, even, it just makes it like, mm-hmm. um, even more sad that she missed out. So I, I hope that Faith and Peter at some point went back to Italy and actually got to enjoy Italy. <laughs> oh, they will definitely go on their honeymoon to Italy. <laughs> they um, have to. Well, I, I think that, that that's, that's part of the point actually of the film in some ways is that her friend Kate, um, does enjoy Italy. Like yeah. she does begin to go like, hey, we're in this beautiful place. And like, there's this nice man who's flirting with me and wants to take me places and I'm going to go touring around with him. Um, 
so so you get that that while she's this like laser focused on like I have to find this particular man, she does. She misses everything around her, including the fact that the man that she does meet, who turns out is not Damon Bradley, is actually the right man for her. And she's so obsessed with this idea of this great love story that she barely even knows why she's obsessed with it, right? Yeah. Um that she is and missing everything. Yeah, that she she's a mess, missing everything around her, including the love story that is already happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what's interesting too, it's like it it really talks about the movie talks about fate and destiny and, and about how like those things aren't really real, and yet they kind of are. <laughs> it kind of does this dual message thing of like she gets so focused on what she thinks is her destiny that she that she. It, it puts her in the right place to be there when she finds him. But uh, but it also means like how much other stuff in her life has she missed out on because of mm-hmm. this particular, you know, this particular hunt that she's been on for 20 years. And sorry. Well, I, I, I was going to say that like she even misses the fact his name is Peter Wright. He's literally mm-hmm. Mr. Wright. Yeah exactly um he you know the way that they meet is he picks up her shoe and 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 you know and so you've got this whole like cinderella glass slipper thing going on he's a shoe salesman you know all of those things and even at one point he details her it's like i'm i'm not supposed to be here but i am right i'm not supposed to be in italy (laughs) you're not supposed to be in italy supposed to be there and yeah Mm -hmm. What's funny too about Peter is that it really, like his role really, to- really toes that line between sweet and creepy. Yes, <laughs> because because he pretends to be the person that she's looking for. Yeah, and I think that we should talk about that. So again, I I do think that this is why the film really depends upon the strength of its its actors yes. and the charm of its actors because. I'm just going like, look, I forgive you, Robert Downey Jr. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's all right. You can, that, like you were, tr- you, you were, you had your heart in the right place, really. Um, <laughs> and to give him credit, it's not like he sleeps with her and then tells her. He does finally right. like go like, okay, he tells I'm. Her before it's going to happen, he comes clean. <laughs> yeah, he he does tell her eventually. So it's not something that she discovers in another way. Except um, then he tricks her again he tricks her again exactly well and it is this like you know i'm i'm he's trying to keep her with him basically he's trying to keep her in italy because he knows he and and his whole argument whether rightly or wrongly this whole argument is we're meant to be together like we are supposed to be with each other um Mm -hmm. and and so he's doing everything that he can or do that now he does get beat up for his trouble which is good thing (laughs) um and and ultimately she's the one who has to make the choice to that like hey she actually does love him she actually does want to be with him um but yeah there's there is that like there's there's a creepiness to it and there's just like this you shouldn't do this but i think that the film is so based in fantasy that it is it's forgivable at some level (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah totally and that's where i say like it toes that line between sweet and creepy where if this happened in real life, it's like you would definitely get a restraining order against that dude. But because they're charming and because you know that he is Mr. Right for her and she needs <laughs> to let go of Damon Bradley, it's forgivable. It's all forgivable. 
Well, and then ultimately Damon Bradley does bring them together and he does say to them like, maybe you want to think about who you want to be with. <laughs> and she says, I do to Damon Bradley. <laughs> uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's... I also love the stuff with Bonnie Hunt, yeah. who is Faith's um, sister-in-law. She's married to Faith's brother, played by Fisher Stevens. Um I, I really would love to ask what was going through their parents' heads when they named one, one kid Larry and the other Faith. Like, those names do not go together for seconds. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> but uh, but I, 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 I love that stuff, too. It's really sweet because they're this couple that's been married for a long time. They literally grew up together and um, just kind of got married. And Larry's lost sight of kate and who she is and why he loved her in the first place and so when she just jets off to italy and he doesn't even know about it and he thinks she's leaving him well she is leaving him at that point um it kind of unlocks for him this realization of like wait a second you know what happened to us and and um Mm -hmm. i just i like that and then she she never crosses any lines when she's in italy but she definitely gets swept off her feet by a very charming italian man who wants to show her around and wants to just appreciate the things about her that haven't been appreciated in a long time. Yeah. I really like that subplot. And, and I think it, it's, it's, it's kind of a comedy of remarriage at that level, but in the sense that she kind of realizes what she wants. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that there are these little moments, like at one point when they're, they're down on the coast and she like looks over the balcony and it's this beautiful view and everything. And, and what she sees are the rooftops. Yeah. And she's just like, oh, Larry would love this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look at those roofs, you know, cause he's a roofer. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is, it is that kind of like, um, the dreams deferred sort of thing or the fact that the happily ever after doesn't feel happy anymore. Right. And she makes certain choices and she also does have a choice. She can decide to like have the affair with a hot Italian and leave her husband and all of those things. But what ultimately she chooses and Larry doesn't choose it for her and no one else does is that she actually does. She wants to be with Larry. She just wants to be him, be with him differently than they have been. Yeah. And, and yeah. he understands that too. Mm-hmm. I, my friend and I because we watched this movie over and over and over again when we were in high school and we always like would rewind the part where he's on the phone with the credit card company finding out where she's at and just the way he's like Italy my wife's in Italy what's my (laughs) wife doing in Italy (laughs) it's just so funny I love Fisher Stevens but yeah, and then he falls I, off the roof. <laughs> and then he falls off the roof. Yep. But I, but I also love that, you know, in the end, when they've kind of reconciled, the two of them get to stay behind. They don't go home with Faith and they're just kind of kind of have their little like second honeymoon and just rekindle what has been lost. And I, mm-hmm. I love that ending for them. You get that sense of like things are going to be OK. They're going to be OK. Yeah. Yeah, she it's... needed to run away. Sometimes you just need to run away to see if someone chases you. <laughs> and he does, and it's lovely. Yeah. So I yeah, all all of these films, I, I did say all of these films are available to stream right now. Um only you is on I know it's on Hulu. Yep. 
Um, Much Ado About Nothing is on Prime until the end of the month, until the beginning of April. And I'm, you know, it's one of those films that goes on and off of different streaming services. So it may pop up somewhere else as well. Um, And Room With A View is on both HBO Max and uh, Criterion Channel. Oh, I didn't realize it was on Criterion. I, I do have to say, if you if you had issues with the transfer on HBO Max, maybe check out the one on Criterion Channel because it's probably a better version, basically. Yeah, I will try that one. Um, so, yes, all of these films are available to view. And Karen is then going to jet off to Italy and and, you know, like be a pasty white person. <laughs> <laughs> And experience seething Italian passions. (laughs) Italy really is in so many Hollywood films. Italy really is like this place of fantasy. And, um, and that's, that's probably true in some ways and not true in others. Yeah. Like, I've never been there. Um, and one, like I'm going with a group of friends. There's four of us going. One has been to Italy before the other three of us have not. And I think we kind of all probably have different expectations of what's going to happen, what the trip's going to be like. But um, everyone I know who's been like some people, it's their very favorite place and they love how relaxed it is and how it's just kind of go with the flow. And other people are like, no, I hate that the trains don't run on time. And I hate that you know people are just too <laughs> laid back here. And it's like, that is exactly the kind of vacation I want. So I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> it is, you know, I, I, it's been a long time since I've been to Italy, but, um, but I, I did get to go to Florence when I was a teenager and it was a great experience for me. I had a great time there. We went to, um, we just like ate great food and we're like hanging out and, and it is much calmer in a lot of ways. I, I do think that the, the Italian attitude towards life is very much about, you know, eating and drinking and being a lot chiller, I think, than, um, than we are in the United States. I love it. So that's definitely true. That's definitely (laughs) true. That is one thing that I can say. And of course, everybody's experiences are different and depends on when you go, where you go, the kind of person that you are, what you go through, et cetera. But, uh, I think that you'll have a great time. Yeah. I can't wait. And meet your own RDJ. What's that? Meet your own RDJ. <laughs> I would be okay with that. <laughs> also, I did not mention, but I love Marissa's hair so much in this movie. <laughs> She's a got hair. a great haircut. It's a great yeah, look. It's so perfect. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So I think that that is going to close us out for this week. And we will be off for a little bit while Karen is in Italy. Um, but we will be coming back very shortly with more episodes and more fun things. And as always, we want to thank our lovely and wonderful patrons who include Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Judy, Karen, Kathleen, Cariata, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, and Pow. Um, thank you again so much for continuing to support us, guys. We've got some new names in there, which I'm really excited about. Uh, thank you for joining again. If we, if you are owed anything from our, our Patreon, if we have stickers or buttons coming, you haven't received them, please, please, please send us a message and I will get that out to you immediately. Um, if you want to join our patron, it's our Patreon, uh, 
It's patreon.com slash citizen dame. And you do get fun little things as well as bonus episodes. We just released our St. Patrick's Day episode about Sing Street, which was so much fun to discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, and and other like fun little things throughout the year. And hopefully we'll have more things like that coming up really soon. Um, so that's patreon.com slash citizen dame. We still have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod and our Ko-Fi account, co-fi.com slash citizen dame. You can also go to our website, citizendamepod.com, where we have reviews, editorials. I should have an editorial coming up pretty soon. Uh, Karen has a bunch of reviews um, from various places, from Sundance and some and our, her your Scream. What are we up to? Scream five, Scream six. <laughs> six, yeah. <laughs> I had a moment. I was like, well, how many Scream films are in there now? <laughs> Her Scream 6 review is also up. And that's citizendamepod.com. You can get in touch with us a multitude of ways. Our email address is citizendamepod at gmail.com. And we have our Twitter and Instagram at citizendamepod. We do have Mastodon, citizendamepod at mastodon.social, though we're not really using it yet. And finally, you can check out our Letterboxed HQ and all of our various lists uh, at letterboxed at citizen dame Whew. that's a lot you, you did it i did it uh you also get in touch with us individually karen where are you i am on all the socials at karen m peterson and i am on all the socials at lh business thank you so much for listening karen have an awesome time in italy and we will talk to y'all later thank you bye Wait, you are an ass! You are an ass! Dost thou not suspect my place? Dost thou not suspect my years? Forget not that I am an ass.